everybody, this is the Wild Ass Podcast, and I am your host, Wild Ass Craig. This is episode 15, and in this episode, I get to introduce all of you to Ben Fopp. He's a guy that you may not have heard of before this show. As those of you that have been following me may remember, back in September of 21, I went to this event in Greer, South Carolina called the BMW GS Trophy Qualifier. This is where I met Ben. They split all of the entered riders up into groups of three, and it was Ben, Charles, and myself that would be spending the next three days together. I got to know him through our mutual support of each other, as we were not only cheering each other on, but after the first day, we had actually traded cell phones and recorded video of each of our rides. Ben's a guy that was not only there to win it, but he was there to make sure he helped out whoever was with him. I like to think of that as, I don't just want to win, but I want to beat everybody when they're at their best. And I have a lot of respect for this, by the way. In this podcast, we're going to learn more about Ben, more about him as a person, his riding history, and just how he got himself into the GS Trophy, representing Team USA as they head over to Albania. Ben, welcome to the show. Hey, Craig. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We've had uh, a tough time connecting, it seems. <laughs> uh, we have, yeah. Our schedules haven't aligned the greatest, so it's been a little busy. It's been a little bit busy, and um, I will take the blame for this. So I appreciate you getting <laughs> together with me now. Because uh, I don't know, you know, as the listeners may or may not know, I think you leave in about a week, right? Yeah, a week on the day. Okay. So next Thursday I'll be on the plane. So Thursday, so that tells you we are recording this on the night of Thursday, the 25th of August. So we'll talk more about that coming up. But first, I want to hear more about your story. More, you know, as a kid, you had, uh, I think, was it six brothers and sisters? Yes. Yeah, big homeschool family. and. Um, <laughs> A lot of us to uh, wrangle around and just get into trouble with. That's a lot of wrangling for homeschool. Your mom must have been a saint. Yeah, I don't know how she did it now that I have, I've got two kids of my own and a a third one on the way. And um, yeah, the thought of having seven is a bit overwhelming. (laughs) I I didn't really appreciate that till I became a parent myself. And uh, I honestly don't know how she did it, but we had fun growing up. Yeah, no kidding. And she and I, I got to meet your mom down at the qualifier. What a sweetheart. Great. I mean, I can tell why you are the way you are because your mom, your <laughs> wife, everybody very cool, very laid back. It was really, it was it was fun hanging out with you guys for sure. You talked about your wife. You have two kids on the way and uh, and one on the way. Two kids and yeah, one, one, on the way. one. Just one on the way. Two kids <laughs> and one on the way. <laughs> Better not be two on the way. <laughs> you might as well double things, for, right? Yeah. Your wife, does she ride too? Uh, she rides occasionally with me. She more puts up with it. Uh, my shenanigans, not not really her thing, but I, occasionally I can get her to go out and um, take relaxing rides together. That's about the extent of it. Okay. Yeah, and with kids at home, I mean, you can't, can't blame her. She must be a bit of a saint as well to let you go off and play while she's taking care of the kids. They're, they're younger, right? Yeah, she has. It is, yeah. I've got a seven-year-old and a three-year-old, and the three-year-old, uh, his his passion for riding takes up where my wife just is <laughs> is lacking a little bit. He's uh he's got the bug worse than I do, and that's anything with wheels. He is crazy about. And he loves hopping on the bike, riding around the yard with me, and he's got a little Strider bike and the electric Stasic bike. So he he follows me around. I'll be training, and he'll. He followed me through cone courses and 
he eats it up. He loves it. Oh, that's awesome. I saw, I've seen video of that on your Facebook page. I love it. Absolutely love it. So when is, uh, when's the PW50 going to come home? Well, I actually already have one. I've had it for a while, but it's, he's ridden on it, but it's, he's, he can basically only touch the pegs barely. So I've, I've put him on it, but I have to be right there with him the whole time because he likes to just pin the throttle and pin it to win it. <laughs> right. So the Stasic so far has, has worked out really well, and he just rips on that for as long as the battery will last. No, that's cool. I was watching, like I said, I was watching that video, and I don't remember which one it was. I think you were doing like the, the back and forth weaving through the boxes. Yeah, doing a doing a garage, and uh, he's followed me through it every step of the way. He gets he if he's out there with me, he will get very upset if I don't allow him <laughs> to follow me through it. You know, and those extra obstacles they got to help when you go to the trophy, right? <laughs> you know, work around yeah, him. Yeah, I definitely have to be uh, pretty careful. Kind of only half paying attention to my riding when when he's out there because you know he's just he's ripping around everywhere and. He's getting better about following me, but he, he occasionally will run right in front of me and stuff. And stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. Definitely keeping an eye out for him the whole time, making sure he's not putting himself in a, a bad spot. That's awesome. You know, I was, uh, some of your history. First, I got to thank you. Eight-year Marine vet, right? You served eight years, was it? Did a little time did, in Iraq. Yeah. Tell me about your, your service. What did you do? Um, I was a combat engineer. Joined at 17, right out of high school. Turned 18 in boot camp, ended up turning 21 in Iraq. Let's see, I'm kind of jumping forward a little bit, but <laughs> so you were in. Did, yeah. You were in quite a while after that, then, if you were there for eight years. Yeah, I guess I got out at what was that 25. At that point, I had um, I had gotten what I wanted out of it, and it was it was time to move on. So, well, I appreciate the service. All all. So that, definitely, thank you for that. Um, it gives all of us out here the ability to do what we want to do. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. And your family for putting up with it. (laughs) I can (laughs) imagine the stress. So from there, go ahead. No. I was just going to say, yeah, it was going to Iraq and stuff is definitely uh, stressful on them, uh, much more so than me. I didn't really care, but there was a lot of tears on the the goodbyes going over there. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. After you left, is that when you got into commercial diving? It was, yeah. So once I... Yeah, once I came back, I think it was a year after I got back, I, I went to school and got my got certified as a commercial diver. Figured I would give that a try. I've been, been trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up for my whole life. <laughs> so therefore, I've done a few different things. But yeah, tried the commercial diving, doing underwater welding, and basically general construction underwater. Did that for about a year and didn't love it. It was... A, it sounded cool at first, but what when it came down to it, getting wet every single day was kind of got old. <laughs> oh, I bet. Um, uh, right before, like a month before Jessica and I were getting married, ended up getting laid off from that. And it, so it just I ended up finding something else to do and never went back to it. It worked out well. It did, but it was, you know, I don't regret it. It was still a, a fun experience and not something that a ton of people do. So I don't know anybody that's done it, <laughs> actually, <laughs> other than you now. Just you. After um, after diving, I did logging for a while. I've done that off and on since 18. It was It's always been my stopgap. Okay. <laughs> if I needed work, there's plenty of that in the area. So yeah, I did, after commercial diving, back to logging for a bit, and then 
yeah, I did go to North Dakota a few years later. Got a job out there at the oil fields working on a, a service rig, and left just the home at home at first. I was like, let me go out and see how it is, and see if this is something worth pursuing, and if you should, you know, if it's if it's good, I'll I'll, I'll bring you out later. And uh, it became evident really fast as soon as I got out to North Dakota. I was like, nope, you'll hate it out here. <laughs> right, where were you at? I was in Watford City. So it's kind of on the west west side of, of North Dakota, right in the Badlands, which the Badlands were cool, but being on the East Coast in the mountains and trees, and uh, it's a, quite a bit different out yeah, there. Yeah, for sure. It was very, very much just an, an oil field town and pretty rough and not something that uh, Jessica would have enjoyed a whole lot. So, Yeah, I've not heard a lot of people that go out there and really fall in love with the place. So Yeah, I mean, everybody does it for the it. money. I mean, that's that's really the only reason anybody anybody doesn't put up with the work because it's you're working 70 to 100 hours a week and you know it's, it's a lot but that's where and i had i like a circling back to riding i had i'd always enjoyed riding growing up but when i was out in north dakota that's when it kind of clicks that all right this is this is something i really like i had a co-worker that was selling a kx 250 that he had he had blown it up so i bought it for 500 bucks and into the shop they rebuilt it because when i was a little bit of time i was off there was nothing to do so i was like well I'll get a dirt sure. bike and explore around the badlands and where i say the we're right in the national grasslands okay so once i got that back first ride out i almost jumped it right into a river um <laughs> <laughs> gotta be aware of your going surroundings oh <laughs> uh, man i was going down this road and uh it was closed and they had some tank traps and like, whatever i want a dirt bike i'm going over the tank traps and kind of out there i learned this pretty quickly but i guess everything blends in and there can be a big drop and you won't see it because you can see just grass on the other side and it just looks flat and i jumped over one of these tank traps and it was the bridge that was supposed to be there was missing which like you couldn't see it at all so i was flying over the tank trap sure and uh I, it's a river and I almost landed right in it. I came skidding down my tires stopped like right at the edge of the river. I was like, whoa, that was close. <laughs> I mean, I think it, it was first ride after it had been rebuilt. And uh, so I now took this, it a little bit easier after bike, that. This was your first bike, right? No, I had, I had had various dirt bikes growing up. Yeah, so let's talk about that. How, Mainly, did, you, how did you get into motorcycling? Were you, what age? Um, how, did, how did you get into I, motorcycling? I think I was probably six or seven, and I remember seeing some magazine. I don't even remember what it was, but it's people doing motocross on it, and uh, I was like, "That's really cool." I, I made a, I wanted to do motocross, and uh, my parents had a hard no to that. <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> While I was in their house, they they were not a fan of motorcycles at all. So eventually, a couple years later, it was kind of always something I, I wanted to do, and just just never happened, but. Made a friend that was on a farm. He had a, uh, he ended up having two dirt bikes, an XR100 and a KX100. So he taught me how to ride. My parents were not aware of this. I'd, I'd go over there and hang out, and him and his parents taught me how to ride in their front yard. And then they had a 7,000 acre farm, and we would just go exploring for, I mean, all day, just take off, ride all over the place. So that was kind of my first real introduction to, to dirt bikes. That's, that's where I learn to ride by the school of hard knocks a little bit yeah and then had various bikes growing up that were kind of we weren't allowed to actually own a bike because like i said my parents were very much against it just just for the 
safety factor. They thought they were very dangerous, which they're not wrong. But so eventually had a friend that a friend of my parents, I should say, that had uh, he was a big motorhead, loved loved motorcycles. And he kind of thought us of an ingenious way of getting us a bike. Um, they had some, it was a 77 YZ80 old race bike that was, it was just in pieces. They had a couple of them in boxes. And um, so he told my parents he would give us the bike, but he would teach us how to rebuild it. And after we were done, we could add it. Sure. And so my parents, my parents agreed because it was, we were learning a mechanical skill and, you know, it wasn't just, just getting a bike. And of course we had to pay for all the parts, and, but his labor and everything was free as far as helping us rebuild it. So we rebuilt the thing from the ground up. And once we were done, had a, uh, that thing was, would scream. Those bikes <laughs> back then were bike. ridiculously fast. Yes. Yeah. Two stroke. And that thing, just the, the power band was insane on that thing. You pop a wheelie in every year. So kind of after that, always had something around. But it wasn't, it, like I said, it was, it was an interest, but it really wasn't a passion at that point. So circling back to North Dakota, when I had that KX250 out there, that's kind of when it clicked. And I was like, all right, this is, this is something I really like, mainly because I didn't have anything else to do out there other than ride and explore and ended up after I almost jumped in the river. <laughs> a little bit further on in the day, same ride. I ended up, I still wasn't a great rider. Like I was, I wasn't even okay. I was I was a bad rider. I'll go with that. <laughs> I went through a mud puddle and I I crashed and I'm out in the middle of nowhere by myself. Didn't know anybody out in North Dakota. Like other well, I, I take it back. A couple of my coworkers, but not really friends. And uh, I get the bike up and it wouldn't start. I'm like, all right, this is this is not good. I was like, I yeah, I'm the grasslands. Like, how do you tell someone where you are? It's just yeah, there's not much for landmarks out there. <laughs> no, it really isn't. Like if you don't know the exact trail, it's which I did not. So eventually, it, it took a while. I think it flooded when it when I crashed, but um, eventually it started up. And I was like, all right, this is a bad idea riding by myself. I ended up just putting something out on Facebook like, hey, is anybody in the area that, you know, that rides? And um, a guy replied, and he's actually still my best friend to this day, replied. And uh, like, yeah, we ride out there all the time. Come ride with us. I hooked up with them and first ride out with them had a really bad crash <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I suppose I, trying I, to keep up with the locals yeah they were they had been riding a decent bit more so they were quite a bit better than i was and um i kind of got got caught by the the depth perception thing out there where you just can't there'll be big dips and you just can't see them anyway i was going up this hill and uh, you can see there's a trail going up the hill but the trail turned and it was a big drop off and you kind of turned and went around this drop off, but coming straight up it, it looked like it was just a straight shot. So as I'm riding up this hill, the, the trail basically just drops out from under me and I crash into the embankment on the other side. And as I go over the handlebars, I catch the handlebar right to the crotch. <laughs> oh, no. It laid me out for a long time. <laughs> and, uh, was everybody there was laughing. They were they thought it was hilarious. I actually missed work a couple of days from it, and uh, I didn't break my ankle, but it was dang near close. I couldn't walk on it, and it was like ten minutes later. I went to get up, and I was like, "Oh, I can't stand." I like severely jacked up my ankle. And again, out in the middle right. of nowhere. At least this time, I had friends with me right. to get the bike up. This was my second ride on the bike. <laughs> right. So anyway, I got off to a rough start. 
But after that, it's after a recovery period. Everybody, of course, knew who I was after that. I'm like, oh, you're really good. Made oh, famous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Made famous like, by one crash. So after yeah. that, once you got through the KX250 learning phase, what bikes did you have leading up to the bike you have now? After the KX, I started uh, doing hair scrambles. And I actually did that a little bit on the KX and realized it absolutely sucked at it. I got a um, KTM XC250. Nice bike. Yeah, loved it. That bike was awesome. And I've had a KTM 690, had a KTM 1090, had a BMW F650 GS Twin, so that's the 800, the street version that everybody told me not to take on the Transamerica Trail. Sure. <laughs> I was like, ah, yeah, and the more you say don't do it, the more it makes me want to do it. And then, let's see, had a DR650. Absolutely hated that bike. I uh, bet. After your KTMs? Yeah, that DR. Well, I think I, I had, so I had the, I, it was, yeah, it was a little bit out of order. I had the, I had the DR, and then it went to the, I got the 690 right after the DR. The the six I, I bought the DR more off of um just everybody saying hey they're reliable bikes and they're they're great which they are they're good for that but they're boring in my opinion. They um, they'll do everything prefer, but nothing well. That's kind yeah, of and I it. I don't know I prefer something I don't I don't mind having a little bit more maintenance and having something with some horsepower that makes it a fun ride. Yep. So I, I very quickly sold the. Uh, the DR just it, it was not a good fit for me, and then after I got the 690, I was like, all right, yeah, this is this is what the DR was supposed to be, <laughs> and uh, I absolutely loved the 690. And then I I don't even remember why I sold the 690 and bought a 1090. I just decided I wanted to go bigger, I guess. Yeah, more power. Really, yeah, I really loved the 1090. That thing's a blast. After the 1090, I I sold that and I'm on the got the BMW um, R1200. See, that's, a, that's a lot of orange to then go to a BMW. So what made you what made you get that? So I had I was pretty solidly a, a, a yeah KTM fan uh, just for the style of riding. I usually like really nasty off road, and that usually suits that pretty well. But I had a friend tell me about the, the GS Trophy. We were we were out on a ride, and he was just like, "Hey, have you ever heard about this?" I'm like, "I've heard the name. I have no clue what it is. Didn't know anything about it." And um, He's telling me about it. This was right after New Zealand in 2020. I was right after that had uh, that trophy event had just happened, and so he was telling me about it. And I was like, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. So I started started kind of looking it up a little bit, and then I'd heard a podcast with with Sean Thomas on it, and he was talking about the um, kind of explaining everything about the the trophy and the qualifiers and and everything for that. And uh, so once I had a little bit of information, I was like, all right. That, really cool and that sounds like something i want to do so you can you can participate in the qualifiers without owning a bmw but if you win you're not eligible to go <laughs> i was like all right well that ain't gonna work so, oh i didn't know you could even participate yeah you had to have a you, gs to to play no you well it, from what i from what i saw that was that was yeah you can you can participate you just can't if you win it doesn't count Okay. Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Unless that changed, which I don't it kind know. of it kind of makes sense because it's you know it's you could have a significant advantage or disadvantage depending on what you're riding and what's what's happening. But um, anyway, so I I very begrudgingly sold the 1090 because I absolutely loved that bike and I was like, all right, I got to get a got to buy a BMW so I can compete in this and uh, 
I was originally going to go like with an F800, and then I had a, I had a few people telling me like you should you should look at the 1200. I'm like, nah, it's just too big. It's it just seemed big and bulky and not mm-hmm. very maneuverable. Right. And uh, then I ended up I had a I had a chance I trained with um, guy Charles that he was on the 2016 CS Trophy team. He came out, and I was still on the 1090 at this point. And we rode, he put up some cones and we were riding different courses together. And it was like, I couldn't even come close to doing it on the 1090. Like the turning radius is so terrible compared to the GSA. He was on a 2016 GSA. And, uh, you know, I was just trying, I couldn't even come close. So he hops on the, the 1090 and he's like, oh yeah, this, this is impossible. Like you'll never, <laughs> never make the turns on this. And I got on his GSA and I was like, whoa, like this huh. thing turns on a dime. Compare, you know, in comparison, the KTM's so long. That's and, uh, crazy. Yeah, it's it for for trials type stuff. I mean, the from what I've seen, I mean, the and the the twelve hundred seem to have a tighter turning radius than the uh, eight hundred. So after riding his, I was like, all right, I, I think twelve hundred's the way to go. And then also, I was kind of in the back of my mind trying to figure out what they were gonna, what the actual trophy bike was gonna be this year, because uh, obviously they no one knew what they were going to say it was. I was like, well, they had the 850s in 2020, so hopefully they're going back to the 1250 in 2022. So I'll get get a 1200. I couldn't afford a 1250. <laughs> so made the gamble, got the 1200, and uh, got a pristine one. Um, the guy that I bought it from had no – I told him what I was doing. I was that I was, you know, going to try out for the, for the trophy qualifiers. Thankfully, he had no clue what the, what the – um, <laughs> what it was when I bought it because this bike was pristine. Um, I mean, it looked like it came off the showroom floor. Had never been off road, and he had told me when I when I was there looking at it that he's like, "Yeah, people try to take these off road, and they're, they're just not off road bikes." And I'm like, "Well, but can I know what I'm going to do with it?" And anyway, after I bought it and left, he looked up what the GS Trophy was, and I think he was he had seller's remorse. <laughs> I don't know if I would have sold that to you if I knew what you were going to do to it. And uh, so he's had, I think, quite a few cringeable moments watching me train and just trashing <laughs> his, his baby. Right. <laughs> and uh, it's not nearly as it's still in good shape, but it's 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 had some nasty stuff happen to it compared to how it was when I bought it. I've seen some of the pictures on Facebook. So you bought the twelve hundred, knowing that you were going to try to qualify for the trophy. Yeah. Also, yeah, you've posted some riding video, but you've done the the Transatlantic Trail, right? Uh, Transamerica or Transamerica yeah. Trail. I'm sorry. So I was going to say, how far did you make it? You know, where did you start? How far did you go? I think a lot of people don't really know what the Transamerica Trail is. So tell us a little bit about that. Where you started, where you finished, and what is the trail like? So the Transamerica Trail. Um... It's all public roads technically, but it's a it's a dual sport route that goes coast to coast. Depending on whose maps you use, it varies the starting point somewhere um, between the coast of North Carolina to kind of the edge of Tennessee. Is um, there's two different routes that are very very similar <laughs> but different. Um, so that's what got me transitioning into dual sports. Um, so I was like, all right, I can't, I can't carry luggage on a dirt bike, so I need to get something a little bit bigger. So me and the buddy that I actually met in North Dakota dirt bike riding, he lived in Idaho at the time. It's like, hey, you want to do this? So we planned for about a year, and um, so I actually sold him my, I the DR650. <laughs> I had gotten it all ready for that trip, and just realized I hated the bike. Um, okay. So I was like, hey, 
fly out here. I'll sell it to you. It's ready to go. Everything's been done. Like it's luggage, everything. So he did that. He bought that. And I had the, uh, I took the F650 twin GS that everybody was like, yeah, don't take that. Because it's, it's the same motor and suspension, or not suspension, basically an F800 without the suspension and cast wheels. And it's not the most off-road capable. Okay. But I'm kind of the personality that the more you tell me that can't be done or it's not a good idea, the more I want to prove you wrong. <laughs> right. So I'm like, yeah, what the heck? I'll give it a shot, see what happens. <laughs> so where so did we, it where did it start? So we started in Virginia. So there's a spur that comes from New York down um, and it meets meets the main trail right at the Tennessee, North Carolina. So we started in Covington, Virginia, took the New York okay. spur down to uh, it's kind of the kind of the BER route, okay. Down to the main trail and got on at about Tennessee. Started heading west from there. We were also trying to do it in like 17 days, which is stupid fast. Like it's just almost impossible to maintain. It basically, if anything goes wrong, you'll you'll never make it. So we're doing like 400 miles a day off road. Okay. Um, which that's a lot know, on the road. Yeah, on the road, that's not very hard to do off road, and I mean you're just on back gravel roads and it's talking long days 14 16 hour days every day yeah and we kind of had to because it was the only that was the that was the longest amount of time we had that we could take off and we're like well we prefer to try to do it in one shot and just kind of try to challenge ourselves versus breaking it up because a lot of people are like break it up into two sections and we're like eh, i don't want to do that either <laughs> so we took off on that and it we did good actually we we stayed on course until Colorado. That's and a long then, ways. Yeah. So when on the route, there's also, there's, there's the main route, but then there's easy alternates and hard alternates off of it that deviate and go through different areas. Well, we had been hitting all the hard routes until Colorado. And what it didn't say on the maps was that a hard route, you know, on the East coast or Midwest or wherever, they're not all the hard routes are not equally hard. <laughs> Is like a hard route, Midwest, East Coast was a joke. Like they were just pretty easily uh, just gravel roads. I mean, there was a couple spots that were a little rough, but once you hit Colorado, the hard routes got really tough. And we got off on some spots that I, <laughs> I thought I was going to lose the DS over a cliff. So after that, I was like, all right, now no more hard routes. We're staying on the main route, not with a loaded loaded bike. Dirt bikes have been great, but. Oh yeah, it's I suppose a, you got a big full size bike, or you know, not not full yeah. size. Yeah, well, it's like we got on we got on this bike. Yeah, we got off on this one spot, and it's it's just like switchbacks going down the side of this, basically a cliff, just single track. But it's like all it takes is you know a peg or your bags to catch something and just push you over the edge, and you're you're gone. Like it was uh, pretty nerve wracking, and I was like, this this bike's gonna go over the edge and gonna be gone. I'm never gonna get it, never gonna get it back, and. Uh, Thankfully, we made it through there. It took a while, though. So after that, it was, it was like, all right, now stay on the main trail. So we slowed down a little bit through there. We're still doing 250 to almost 300 miles a day, which is out there. Is, I mean, we were really pushing ourselves. You know, it does, and that's it's crazy. It doesn't sound like much, but I grew up with dirt bikes, and to ride trail, you know, even gravel road, you're not going 60 miles an hour typically. No, so 300 no, miles a day. You know, you figure ten out thirty miles an hour is probably a pretty good average. That's a probably a fast average. Yeah. That's a ten hour day if you never stop. 
You know, you still have to stop for yeah. gas. You still have to stop and eat. You still got to stop and go to the bathroom. That's a long yep. day. Yeah, and it, Oh, it is. And we, I mean, so like I said, we were doing usually 14 to 16 hours a day. And that's with like, I mean, there was no stopping to smell the roses. It was, you know, we would eat when we got fuel. And that's just kind of throw some food in our face and, and keep going. It was very much the pressure of the clock the whole the whole trip, which I wouldn't do it again that way. We we did the best we could with what we had, but um, yeah, it wasn't the most enjoyable. It was challenging, but not the most enjoyable. So we made it to Utah, right at the Moab, and then the maps we were using, the trail splits, and on the GPSs we were using, we just had these little handheld like hunting GPSs, and they really sucked to navigate on. You're, and you're following tracks, by the way, so it's you know you're not there's no turn by turn navigation. Okay. Um, so a lot of, um, especially with those, when you're trying to ride and look at like a handheld GPS. Sure. I mean, we had it mounted on the bars, but they're so small. It's, you got really good at doing U-turns and, you know, there was a turn back there. And so that when the trail split, we took the wrong spur and we started heading to California instead of Oregon and didn't know it. <laughs> um, got off on really, really nasty trail in, in Utah, right out of Moab. Yeah. 40, 40 to 70 miles out of Moab and um, just beat the crap out of, out of our bikes. Um, both of them, the DR and the BMW, both, by the time we got off this trail, we finally realized we were on the wrong track. And at that point, we had gone far enough we couldn't turn around because we needed fuel and the closest fuel stop was continuing forward. Sure. So we, we pushed on through. and uh, But both bikes were leaking oil. <laughs> We had we had punched holes in the cases on Oof. both of them through through the skid plates. Um, That's not good. No, the BMW had actually sheared off all the mounts, and it was one of the sheared off mounts had punched the case and popped a hole in it. And then the DR, one of the one of the bolts for the skid plate, had gone through the case on that one. So we finally got off that trail and was able to limp back to to Moab and got a bunch of um, JB Weld and we. Parked all the bikes in the parking lot, flipped them over on their side, and it looked like a big yard sale everywhere. Uh, JB welded up all the, the holes in the bikes and went and had a beer and some food while the while the JB weld set up. And uh, in the end, that's what we ended up calling it there because we had okay. lost two days. Let's see, we had backtracked a day. We had, I think it was like three days we'd ended up losing by taking the wrong trail. By the time we'd gotten back, gotten repaired, of course, we didn't, we didn't use the JB Weld putty, which we should have, which is done in like an hour. We had like the 24-hour stuff. So. Sure. So anyway, at that point, we're like, uh, we, we can't, physically cannot make the entire trip at this point. So we ended up calling it in Moab and went separate ways. And my buddy went back to, to Idaho. I went back to Virginia. And so we plan on at some point going back and finishing the last section of it. But um, that's the... The basics of that trail. It's a, it's a fun ride. I would I would definitely take more time to do it in the future. So it's a, a lot of gravel pace. road. Is it like side by side trail? Is it no? Jeep and trail, that's, that's kind of a track? misconception. Is that it's you do have to be plated because you're on you're technically on roads. Most of it's gravel. Some paved, very little paved. Not a whole lot of that. And then some of the trails. I mean, you you do get off on there's sections that can be kind of rough, um, but. It's, you, you've got to be on a plated bike to do it. So. Okay. How much do you think that helped you for the trophy qualifier? Let's get you there. So you, you bought this bike. 
You're going to do the trophy qualifier. What all did you do for preparation to get yourself ready for this qualifier? Because now you knew what it was. So that's, I mean, I'm guessing everybody there, except for me, knew what the GS trophy qualifier was for. <laughs> so talk about your preparation and a little bit about what you did going, getting ready for that. Yeah. So, um, well, I knew before I bought the BMW that, yeah, I was like, all right, this is, I'm going all in on this thing. Like it's, I, w- I want to win this thing. Um, so started trading immediately. I was training on the, on the KTM at first till I had found the BMW and bought it. And then mainly I was training cones, slow speed trials type stuff. That's a style of riding. I had never done any of the mainly on like the KTM. So hard off road and going fast. Uh, same thing when I, when I was racing hair scrambles, your, you know, speed is the, the thing. So, going slow and playing on cones was very, very foreign and I was terrible at it. I have a video somewhere of, it was right after I bought the DS and um, I got cones up in the parking lot. My, I think my daughter was five at the time and she's sitting there taking a video of me. And she's talking to the camera <laughs> and I like, I follow her or something and she's just, she, the comments from her are hilarious because she's just like, yeah, daddy, daddy's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> you need to be posting that stuff. <laughs> I need to, I need to find it. Yeah. It's, I I look back at it now and I cringe cause I'm like, I'm staring at the cones, like right in front of me, like just form is terrible. Um, but it was a lot of, a lot of my training. I barely, I barely left my property. We got a little bit of a property here and spent a lot of time focusing on slow speed maneuvering and different cone drills and, you know, working on the garage and all the different little, rabbit tricks you see it uh at rallies and stuff and so nights and weekends um put in a lot of a lot of time at it because it was kind of my strategy going in was i was like i don't i don't need to be the best rider to win i just need to be the best at the game to win sure. and so i i also when i guess with that I, I did quite a bit of research on the trophy once it was I was like, yeah, this is, I'm going to do this thing. So looked up a lot of past qualifiers, past trophy events, and then tried to replicate what they'd had. And um, ended up paying off really well. I was pretty decently well prepared at the, at the actual qualifiers. It, it did, and um, it showed. My last <laughs> episode was with Sean, which was right the episode right before this. Now, what most listeners, they, they haven't heard a podcast since, you know, looking at the calendar back in June because I've been busy doing my, my thing, working and working and working. So I had Sean's recorded and we talked a little bit about you. You were the number one qualifier for team USA. So congratulations. Well, thank you. Yeah, that was a long, like I sort of, for people that don't know, there was an East coast and a West coast qualifier. Originally I had signed up for both because it was that you could in the past, you could, you could compete in as many qualifiers as you want. However many they had, you could do. And so I'd signed up for both because like I wanted to double my chances of making it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so I forget it was not it was not long before the qualifier. I got a call from Sean like out of the blue, which had never had never talked to, didn't know at all. I was like, um, well, I, I was very taken aback when I got a phone call from him. And they're like, yeah, you can only compete in one of them. So like whichever one you do first. That's your score. You can do mm. the other one, but it's just for fun. Huh. I was like, crap. So decided not to do the California qualifier and just do the East Coast. So 
after I ended up winning the East Coast, it was, I had to wait a month to find out. So it was like I had obviously won the East Coast, but it was going off a score. So I didn't know. Even if I had made the team, I mean, I, was, I had a pretty good feeling I made the team. <laughs> well, so um, for the no. listeners that don't know what happened, they, you know, we stuck around. We were watching this final qualifier, and there was no doubt. Like, you went out there first, and I, I think you were first. There was, like, an exhibition rider, and then yeah. and, and it was you who just crushed the exhibition rider and, like, made him look like a rookie. And then everybody that followed, you know, was like, holy shit, Ben won this thing. Like, there is no denying it. And then I think it, yeah, was, it was every day I kept texting you, hey, any results? Any results? Any results? Just bugging yeah, the hell out of me. It was yeah, you were texting me for a while. And I'm like, dude, I don't know. And you're like, yes, you do. You're just not saying anything. I'm like, no, I really don't know anything. Like, they have not said a word. Yeah, so they, and, they literally did not share the results with anybody, including you, for no, a long I, time it, after the West Coast qualifier even. Yeah, so there was a month in between the qualifiers, and then I, actually, I think it was another month. It might have been two solid months of waiting for the results, and you know, before they announced the team of what it was. Even now, I still don't know what my score was. They they will they have not released the score, so I'm told I got first, but don't have an actual score, which is a little <laughs> a little frustrating. <laughs> I want to know how I did, but I know how I did in my head. I was counting points, but yeah. You were counting them while you were gaining them? Well, no. So the funny thing was I had planned when we had, so going back to the final, we were getting ready to run that course. There was a couple spots that I, I literally planned to take points, planned dabs, I should say. So you're looking at the turns like these are, they're too sharp. I don't think I can make that turn. And so it was, uh, you know, it was two points. If you hit the, one point for a dab, two points, if you hit the, hit the line, and then three points if you drop the bike. And so I was like, well, I don't think I can make the turn. So I'll just intentionally dab and take one point instead of risking, you know, taking two points. So I had that in two different spots that I had, had already planned before I ever even started that I, I'm going to dab right here. So um, just to, to give then, the listeners an idea of what you're talking about, if you guys go back on my Instagram, you can see where I was doing a bunch of our, like the qualifier courses. So the final was tighter than that. and on gravel and a bunch of different, uh, they call them trials, connected. So it was like you had to go through what we would think was a balance beam, but it was between, was it like 20 or 30 feet of railroad ties where the ties were stood up and you had to go through them like it was a rut. And then you had to go into this zigzag S-curve thing that wasn't quite, I mean, it didn't look possible to me, but you made it look not terrible. And then you had yeah, to go so into the, like a square yeah, and then you had to do these figure the eight garage. things, all these different yeah. things, back to back to back to back. And it was, I want to say, an eight or ten minute video. I can't remember. I'd have to look back because I recorded your final it, run. Yeah, it depends on, um, well, mine mine wasn't that long. but it was, Some of <laughs> it was them, sorry. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think mine was, I think I was under three minutes. Um, it wasn't but that, that was, fast, was it? Maybe. I'd, I'd have to look. I've got it on video too. And it's, okay. Either way, it seemed like a super long time, and I can imagine when you're on the bike, it seems like three times that long. Oh, for sure. And um, and so the your score was not only based on how accurate you were, but it was also based on time. And there again, they didn't tell you how much your time played into your score. It was they told you what deductions were, and the rules were different for each obstacle. So like your first one, there was spots you could dab, there was spots you couldn't dab, there was 
spots where you could hit cones and it wouldn't count and other spots that would. And so you had to be, pay a lot of attention to the instructions when they were, when we pre-walked it before we, before we ran through it. But yeah, it was a, it was a nerve wracking day. <laughs> it was, but it was awesome. It was great to watch. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was so the trophy really itself, there's 16 three, well, this year, I think, I don't know if it's different in other years, but this year there's 16 three-man teams and six two-women teams that are going to compete, riding in teamwork tests over seven days, and you're going to be in Albania, right? Explain where that is. That's correct. Yeah, it's over. Um, I didn't know where it was either when they announced. <laughs> I, was like, uh, I was like, I've heard the name, but I have no clue where that is. But it's over. It's just north of Greece. Uh, if, you're, if you're looking at Italy, it's to the right across the Adriatic and Ionian Seas right there. So once they released where it was, kind of did the same thing it is for the qualifier. Started like, all right, let's start doing my research on the country, the terrain, try to get an idea of what we're going to be on. So they, I can see why they picked it from what I've seen. Super rugged, rocky terrain. You, know, you have the Alps running right through there. Really pretty country from what I've seen pictures and, and videos wise the beaches are, are gorgeous and from from what they're saying this is going to be the the most challenge technically challenging just from the terrain the most challenging trophy they've had to date just because the terrain so gnarly every everything i've seen is just a giant rock pile um, i can't i can't wait pretty, to watch it on video yeah it should be good so i've been been training as in many rock gardens as i can find and steep hills and we'll see if it pays off did the best I could on the East Coast. So. Yep. No, and you did fantastic. You're heading to Albania. Uh, I think you said you're flying a week from today. The event starts on the 4th of September, correct? Yeah, that's correct. And yeah, we'll this... be there a couple days prior to starting. Yeah, I suppose you got to get acclimated. Hey, one thing, I don't know if this is true or not, but one thing I've heard to set your clock, your body, to the time that you're in is go to the beach and stand there with no shoes on. Like, literally go to the beach. I don't know how long this takes. Like it seems like 30 minutes or something. But some, And I don't know. You, you can come back really? and tell me if this works. But something about the magnetic pull of the earth, and I don't know, these earthing people will tell you this is what you do. I, I don't know anybody to try it. So be my guinea pig. If it, if it doesn't work, at least you know. But if it works, it's a little jump start on everybody <laughs> hey, else. Yeah, I've never heard that. But, yeah, nothing worst case is spend a little bit of time on the beach that looks really nice <laughs> yeah right i actually know exactly where the podcast is i can send it to you where the guy talks about it huh okay yeah never never heard of that yep i don't know random knowledge so i have to have some okay so you leave this podcast should air on the fifth so when when you guys are listening to this podcast these guys are out riding doing their seven day stint you're out there representing the united states that's going to be cool you talked about the bike already you're riding uh 22 or is it a 23 bmw that would be a should be a 20 it's a 23 r1250 gs and it's all so you got it tricked out for the for the event they uh each each competitor will be on brand new bikes have our name on them our country flag on it and of course all the the gs trophy decals so that's that's pretty exciting it's uh not every day you get a a, a full expenses paid trip to compete and get a brand new bike and gear yeah, yeah you're full factory and everybody's on the exact same machine right yep yeah everybody's on the same machine same gear i think helmets are really the helmets and boots are the only difference it'll be a little hard to pick people out of i guess other than their numbers but 
Yeah, looking at it, they're not exactly contrasting numbers, but the commentary on the TV show will tell us who you are, I'm sure. So you yeah. said all expense paid, and I believe it's everything, right? Gear, like you said, except helmet and boots, or does that count? Yeah, so the only thing the only thing that we really had to quote-unquote cover was helmet and boots. Um, that was the only thing not provided. So we got full riding suits, brand new, the, the latest BMW riding suit, which is pretty, pretty sweet this year. It's new for, I guess, I don't know if they're calling it a 20 for 2023, but um, so we were the first ones to get those. That was pretty cool. They outfitted us with camping gear, like a tent, sleeping bag, backpack, camelback, socks. And, I mean, all if sweatshirts, all sorts of clothes and stuff, all everything's BMW, of course. And pretty, pretty sweet kit. It was a fun to get in the mail and open it up and see what, see what all was in it. That's very cool. Um, just got that two weeks ago. Got that. Very cool. So trying to get used to all the gear. So yeah, back to your, your question, the boots and boots and helmet were the only thing we did have to provide, but we were able to get those sponsored. So TourTech sponsored our helmets and then CD actually sponsored our boots. So Nice. Very nice. So that you're that all going to match well. anyways. We will. Yeah, that was, we, we wanted to actually look like a team, so make sure we have all the same gear. Right. No, that's, that's great. Let's see. I have to read. This reminded me of something from, from the trophy, but. Psycho World did an article where your team journalists wrote, I'm going to quote this, I didn't write this, Ben Fopp, a Marine Corps veteran who is methodical and direct in his writing as the strong man of the team. I have no doubt that in any challenge involving our R1250GS units being lifted, thrown, or carried, the team will point to Ben. I watched him lift his GS like it was nothing in ways I wouldn't dare, end quote, which reminded me of the trophy when at the qualifier somewhere you'd like half dropped your bike and caught it. And like, everybody looked at each other and went, how the hell did he do that? <laughs> so I thought that was funny that they wrote that because we all noticed it there as well. So that's certainly so going to play to it, your advantage when you're going through the rocks. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Cause I don't, I don't think about it. The GS uh, to me is so much easier to pick up than most bikes. Cause it doesn't fall all the way over, you know, it lands on the head. So yeah, I can I can pick up the GSA with without getting off of it. You can weight the peg and grab the bars, and I can stand it back up without getting off. As long as it's not like off camber downhill, but you know flat ground, I can I can right. do that. Yep, we've seen it. I think that's kind of what I did during the semifinal. It did fall over, and I, <laughs> I yanked it up and kept going. And like to me, I don't think about it. I until and it was the same thing out in Utah with, when Justin wrote that. I'd gotten stuck and I flopped the bike over and drug it out of the hole, and kind of like whoa. It's like what you do it all the time on mine. I just, it, I don't know. I just, I, I just don't think about it. <laughs> it's all so. about balance and finding the good slide point. Yeah, I guess. And anyway, it's, oh, it's um, funny. I've I've dropped mine enough. I've gotten really good at picking it up. I'll go with that. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see. I think. Did I miss anything? Is there anything you can think of that I missed talking about the trophy, the qualifier, getting prepared? I think. That, yeah, I think that's most of it. Have you Have you listened to any of the previous shows? I have not, and that's actually something I do want to. I do want to listen to. I, I do want to catch. Have, you'll have plenty of time on the air in the air to, to listen. Ah, there to we them. go. All right. <laughs> Except it's an overnight flight, so I'm going to try sleeping. to sleep. I, I'm yeah. I am in every intention of loading up on melatonin and, and trying to sleep overnight, and hopefully curb the jet lag a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. So the reason I ask is because we have uh, my favorite part of the show here is five questions. I ask you five questions. Obviously, now you haven't okay. heard them, so that's good. So you don't have a prepared no. answer. 
but uh, I'll ask you five questions. You answer them, and uh, that's it. So ready? Question number right. one. Question number one. How would you describe motorcycling to somebody who has never ridden a motorcycle? Mm. One word, freedom. <laughs> Fair enough. It's, it's my happy place. That's like I unwind there. I, I, um, you know, if I've had a bad day, it's, I'll tell my wife, yep, I need, I need some bike time and just unwind and I can be in a bad mood and come back feeling much, much better. Perfect. Number two, what is the best advice you have gotten as a motorcyclist? Uh, So the best advice I would say I've gotten, I got from Chris Birch, who's a trainer and KTM uh, brand ambassador, but that's a technique I still use all the time, and that's target fixation. Um, You generally always hear that as a negative, of riders getting into trouble by, by doing that. And his advice was it's, it's a natural human reaction. So use it to your advantage and that's look where you want to go. If you, yeah, if you're on the trail, you see the line, focus on that line where you're trying to go and make it happen, ignore everything else. And so that is something I use all the time. Like if I pick out the line and that's like, I may, you know, Hey, there's a huge rock right there. I see it. And I'm like, ah, nope, look where I want to go. <laughs> and so that's, I've used, I've used that technique a lot. That is actually great advice because, you know, what you said there, target fixation is always used as a negative or referred to as a negative term. But if you use it in place of look where you want to go, because we all hear look where you want to go, but target fixation, right. just, I mean, just but I've never heard that. the two, right. I've never heard the two combined. So it's like, all right, if you know, you're naturally, everybody is naturally going to do this plan. And it's like, go out riding and try it. And it's, at least for me, it's worked very well. That's awesome. Once, once that connection was made. Yep, perfect. Question number three. What is your favorite non-motorcycle hobby? Um, probably anything outdoors. Um, recently did snowmobiling. I know that's kind of, kind of close. And I could totally get into that if I was in a place with a lot of snow. But um, yeah, pretty much anything outdoors. Hunting, fishing, hiking, camping, anything like that. Okay. You're about to go on a, on this really awesome trip so question number four what is i hate to say the next item but what is now on the top of your bucket list that's a good question um i don't know yet i have a lot of trips that i want to make um i'm not sure priority yet if jessica hears this she's going to cringe because she's she's so ready for this to be done because this has been a a two-year thing and she's like, no more. <laughs> so I have to keep it on the, on the down low. But um, I definitely want to go to Alaska, a ride to Alaska and back. Um, and then I kind of want to ride to the tip of South America and back, which both of those are obviously decently large commitments. Just a little bit. Um, and then I, I kind of want to do the Baja, that race. I don't know. I don't know exactly the order, but those those are kind of the things on the radar. Okay, cool. Stuff I would would like to do. Okay, the last and I want, one. And I say oh. Baja. I want to do Baja on a big bike, not a four fifty. Okay. So, the last question is something that catches people. You know, stumps you. But what is something that you believe that other people think is insane? So a belief of yours that other people think that's just insane. 
Mm. Well, <laughs> let me think. I don't know. Belief wise, I would say I have beliefs people differ with, but I don't know about insane. Um, definitely have people that think some of the things I do are insane. I don't agree with them, obviously. Yeah, I don't know if I can. I I don't know that I necessarily have a belief that people would say insane. I don't. I can't think of any. Yeah, it's a stumper, and I've gotten all different kinds of answers on the show. So. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, let's see. I think that about wraps it up. Do you have any final words before we close this out? Any last parting words for the listeners? I don't think so. I appreciate you having me on. It's been fun. I guess. I guess the uh, we'll be in the midst of the trophy as once this airs so look it up gs trophy follow along on social media facebook youtube instagram if you look up yeah so that GS was that's, or, that leads me to my next bmw one. motorrad oh there you go and they'll and i think any any of the bmw motorrad pages will be will be streaming or i don't know about streaming but um they'll be posting daily daily updates on the event i know i will be watching them where can the listeners follow you so right. Facebook and Instagram is Ben Fop. Ben Fop is P H A U P. What's is, your Instagram? I think, it's still uh, I think it's just at Ben Fop. I've had an Instagram forever, and I've kind of just started like actually using it. Okay. Um, but I am. So I will try to. We'll see. See how much I can. But I will be trying to post updates. I don't know how much time or service I'll have, but right. I plan on doing as much as I can during the event. Yeah, fair enough. You got or, plenty I to evenings. Yeah, yeah, you got plenty to do and keep yourself busy there. I will make sure in the notes, in the show notes, I have your correct Instagram and I'll post a link to your Facebook as long as you're okay, okay. with that. Yeah, um, yeah, that's it. No Actually, other oh, media. I do have I, I have a YouTube account too, but it's not much there. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One other one one final thing is so the first actually now by the time this comes. No, it'll be it'll be in time. So I think the first two days of the event, we they will there will be a photo video compilation challenge where all the teams are, are taking pictures and videos. Anyway, okay. they're all getting posted and then viewers have to vote. So we could definitely Team USA could definitely use any support when that so that'll be the day or the day after this airs. So this will come out um, uh, at midnight Monday morning. So we'll have the full second day. Um, I don't know how many people will listen to this right away, but folks, if you're listening, go to any of the BMW Motorrad pages, BMW M O T O R A or it's R R A D pages, and find the United States picture. Make sure you vote for that, right? Yeah, yeah, that'd be much appreciated. We'll do what we can um, to help Don't you. vote for the other countries. <laughs> no. <laughs> we want this to be a rigged vote. We want USA winning. You know what? I'm okay with that. <laughs> is this is this part of the team score? It is, actually, yeah. It's, it is a scored thing. Um, I don't know how much it plays into your score, but it definitely, definitely plays into the score. Okay. Every well, hopefully, hopefully your pictures are good. Uh, we're going to do our best. We'll see. Awesome. Well, if I think if that's... not, just give us a pity vote. A pity vote. Perfect. I think that's all I got. So we should be good, folks. If you like what you're hearing, please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode of the Wild Ass Podcast. You can follow all of the adventures on Facebook or Instagram by looking for at the real wild ass. Of course, I am Wild Ass Craig. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you again in a couple weeks. And of course, 
Thank you again, Ben, for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. And good luck. <laughs>